So today I'm recording this from the Isle of Man. The Isle of Man is an ancient island that sits in between Ireland to the west and England and Scotland to the east. In fact, the closest landmass is Scotland. It's a rainy, rainy day. It's what they would call the Dicht in Scotland. It's very low cloud. There are mountains in the distance and the fog and the clouds are about halfway down those mountains. It's raining. Uh, and so I'm getting really quite wet. Maybe you can hear the sound of the raindrops falling onto these large leaves around me. There's a pond in front of me and I'm watching the thousands and thousands of raindrops fall and create these beautiful ripples onto the pond. I can hear the birds singing in the trees to my right, a car passing in the distance, and I'm just enjoying walking and listening. And that's the point of this episode, which is the power of listening. And what does it mean to listen? And I want to suggest that to listen is to hear the meaning of the thing or person to whom you're listening. It's not just the what and the where and the when. It's the why of that person, the why of the space around you. And for me, the Isle of Man is reminding me of the time, the eight years that I lived in Scotland. And that's one of the meanings that I am hearing in the landscape around me. So I want to thank you for listening to this episode. And in doing so, think, what does it truly mean for you to listen? Well, I finished my first turn to the left across America by car. Now it's about time to turn left again, this time by bike. You see, I arrived into Bellevue in Washington a few days ago, and that ended the first part of my adventure. And according to Google, well, Google Maps, the trip from Portland, Maine to here by car should have taken as little as two and a half days. I planned 10, and I spent 18. I suppose that's what happens when you're open to taking side roads and embellishing locations with spontaneous sojourns while still needing to work. Bellevue is where I was born, Though half of my life has been spent not only away from here, but away from the U.S. in general. Here, there were around 60,000 residents in 1968, uh, when I was born, which was, uh, which has really troubled since the inclusion of Microsoft, Amazon, and, and other large influential companies. Back then, it was only Boeing and mountains and sea, of course. Boeing had just laid off thousands of employees. The uncertainty was stark, much like now. My padre uh, told me that there was a sign at the SeaTac airport that literally said, the last one to leave, please turn out the lights. The lights dimmed, but now they're very bright. I was born in a rush in a brightly lit hallway uh, in Seattle Hospital en route to the birthing room. This sort of set the stage for the rest of my life. The first words my brain heard when coming into the world were from my mom saying, what's wrong? You see, I was the fifth child four females had come before me. Back then, you were pulled up by your feet and your bottom smacked to make you cry, thus initiating your first living breaths, stinging with the reality of what was to come. When baby girls are born and held aloft upside down, they have clean lines forming a V. This is what, how my mom describes it. Boys are different. Their lines are not clean. Remember, perception is grounded in our past experiences, and those experiences are necessarily engendered in our neural circuitry, which gives rise to our assumptions and biases. The assumptions encoded in my mum's brain at that moment in time was that I was her fifth girl, who was being held aloft and crying. 
Well, given this assumption, her poor little girl must be deformed. After all, my lines were completely wrong for a girl. Because our perceptions and actions are a conscious manifestation of our brain's deeply encoded unconscious assumptions that reflect our lived history, we all make sense to ourselves, just not to other people. You are creating the meaning of my words based on your history, and you are projecting that meaning onto me, whether or not your meaning was what I intended. In the same way, my mom's meaning, what's wrong, made complete sense to her until the nurse whispered, there's nothing wrong, dear, it's a boy. The wrong bit came later and many times over. My three gorgeous gremlins, Zana, Misha, and Theo, love listening to this story, but much more so when their grandmother tells it, which brings me to the point of this episode. How you listen and what you listen to is what will define your adventure, not just now, but in life and in love and in yourself. To truly listen, then, is not to listen without assumptions. That would be impossible. It's to listen with perceptual intelligence, the awareness that you have assumptions and that they will shape what you hear and, of course, see, feel, and do, at least initially. Hence why true listening, in other words, the kind of listening that will expand you and deepen your relationship to the world, requires humility combined with the desire, if not need, to understand the world, whether that world is the world of another person or the natural world itself from which we all extend. My 18th day of this adventure began in Wilbur, Washington. Yes, as in Wilbur the pig from E.B. White's Charlotte's Web. It's a small, small town in eastern Washington along Highway 2. Highway 2 was the smaller of the two roads that moved you east to west through the Washington state, which was recommended to me by a dear family friend named Kim and whom I grew up with. The other of the two options was the larger, more typical highway, I-90. Well, Wilbur prides itself on being the friendliest little town, and it was. I stayed, as has been typical for this trip, at a small single-rise motel just off the main road. Such establishments have been the fabric of adventures across America for decades, each one with its history and personality that reflects, like the brain itself, its history of passing nomads, vagabonds, and those with a migratory ilk. I dined at Doxy's Diner while I had a wonderful conversation about what it's like to live here with the waitress who in a very real sense was the diner. She, like all of us, came here from somewhere else. She lives one town further along, but of a similar size and loves it. She loves the freedom that the safety that small affords, specifically that her children can roam free, semi-wild without the concern of uncertainty. Small and remote becomes an antidote to not knowing. With that comes the possibility of young minds to explore nature and the nature of their friends, to play in the streets, to freely move between houses whose doors remain unlocked if not wide open, to adventure into hayfields. After my meal and conversation, I simply watched the sun set in the direction of tomorrow's continued adventure into the Cascade Mountains. Growing up in the Pacific Northwest, the raison d'etre of the Cascades is to frustrate the clouds from their eastward path. For the clouds to continue their adventure, they must first lighten their load on the mountain's range western slope, which includes Seattle, Bellevue, and the rest of the towns inhabiting what is otherwise a temperate rainforest. This is why those who live here are a bit waterlogged. 
while eastern Washington, where I was, remains a near desert. The next day, my car climbed these mountains in the opposite direction to the clouds from east to west. My deviation took me skinny dipping in a river just out of sight, at least I think from Highway 2, in fresh snow melt running down from the mountain's peak. Post-swimming, when I reached the top of the pass, I deviated again north towards the long, narrow Wenatchee Lake. At its western point, there's a narrow road. I assumed, or rather hoped, that it would eventually return me to Highway 2. What I didn't know, until I was on it, was that indeed it would, but only after becoming an old logging trail. Rather than turn around and retrace my steps, not usually a preferred option for me in life, I was curious to see what would happen next. What happened is that I heard the landscape of home. When I got to the top of the logging road, an interesting challenge for a low suspension ragtop, there was a small widening of the path which enabled me to pull off to its edge just above a cliff. From there, with no one around, I could see just across the forested green valley the awe-inspiring, unobstructed, rugged, still-covered-in-snow peaks. There would have also been inevitably bears and cougars and other deeply essential aspects of the wild around me. But rather than feel a sense of loneliness, isolation, trepidation, or foreboding, I heard the familiar voice of the wind through Douglas fir, red cedar, hemlock, and spruce. I heard home. These were the mountains and the logging trails of my early adventures and the company more accurately the safety of my four older, apparently non-deformed sisters. This is where we hiked and camped. I'd not been here for years, decades even, but this is where I learned that home is not a place or a thing. It's a landscape, an ecology, conceptual and or physical. Home is a meaning. One needs to listen to it with awareness, awareness that it's geography, just like the physiology, thinking and feeling, movement and anatomy of another person, is a function of its history. To understand another person is not simply to know what they do or what they perceive, or even what they write or say, is to know the assumptions and biases that give or gave rise to their normality that is described by their words, perceptions, and actions. But we so rarely listen, though we think we do. When another's landscape just doesn't make sense, doesn't feel familiar, isn't your home, it's usually easier just to assume irrationality or ignorance or even arrogance. Much more dangerous is to live according to the truth that one is necessarily subjective, that one's perception, your perception, indeed one's brain, your brain, is more a product than it is a producer. To listen to another person, to truly see another person, is to touch them, which brings them into existence, which is why all brains need touch. In this time of COVID, you now know how essential touch is, and whatever it is you think you know, touch is even more essential than that. 31 years ago, on the 25th of December in 1989, Romanian's dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu, was executed. Many horrors were revealed when that happened. One was the child gulags, in which an estimated 170,000 abandoned infants and children were being raised, so to speak. These children were deprived of many things. One of the most essential, it turns out, was touch. Without regular touch, our immune system decays, our brain deteriorates. A neuroscientific understanding of the power of touch was already known a few decades before from Harry Harlow's lab. 
Prior to Harlow, it was assumed that the infant brain formed an attachment to its mother simply because the mother's body provided food and nourishment. The assumption was purely utilitarian, born out of a behaviorist assumption of life fathered by B.F. Skinner. Many loving relationships are grounded on this utilitarian principle. What can you do for me? Harlow discovered something else. Yes, attachment is indeed grounded in the need for nourishment, but the kind of nourishment needed was completely different. It was the nourishment of emotional acceptance, love, affection, all born out of touch. In Harlow's experiment, infant monkeys were removed from their mothers, who were replaced by one or two inanimate surrogates. One made from wood and wire, and the other was from rubber and soft terry cloth. When the wooden wire mother was the only one with the milk bottle, the infant monkey would spend most of its time with the soft mother, only coming to the wooden wire one for food, after which it would immediately return and, and really cling to the soft mother. Amazingly, the monkeys who were raised by the soft mother were better able to cope with uncertainty. They would explore an unknown area and run back to the surrogate when startled whereas the others would be paralyzed by their fear and huddle in a ball on the floor, sucking their thumbs, much as the children would do in the Romanian gulags 30 years hence. So touch is essential to live. It's what gives ourselves the reason they need to survive, in addition to energy, oxygen, and water. To touch is to listen to the world around you, to help you see why and how this is true. I want you to take your right index finger and gently and slowly rub a surface next to you back and forth. Now as you're doing that, think to yourself, where do I feel the sensation? The probable answer is, of course, at the end of my index finger. Seems obvious, right? So now what I want you to do is use the same right index finger and I'd like you to stroke the back of your left hand with the same force and the same frequency you did on the surface next to you. Now where do you feel the touch? It's no longer at the tip of your index finger. The location of the sensation has switched to the back of your hand, the part of your body that is being touched, even though it's your body doing the touching. What does this simple demonstration show? That to touch the world is to receive the world. When you reach out, the world touches you. What is true for receiving the world through your skin is also true for receiving the world through your ears. You listen with your skin. Indeed, most, if not all of you, will have had the experience of being touched without listening. The movements are too fast. The toucher is not feeling what lies underneath, and you feel the indifference. The pressure is too strong, or maybe not strong enough. The location is wrong. There is no care. Indeed, in its extreme form, touching without listening is physical violence. When you touch the body of your child or your friend or the body of your lover with intention and care, your brain is listening to their form, to their curves, to their texture, to their desires and needs. And when you touch them with the awareness of your own biases and assumption, with the desire to truly understand the landscape of their body and mind, they will feel heard. They will feel held. And with that, their brain will change towards itself and change towards you. Cortisol levels will be reduced. Oxytocin will increase. Their immune system will improve. Their neural circuitry will complexify. But so too will yours. For when you touch, you are touched through the action of reaching out, increasing your openness. So in this time of COVID, in fact, all the time. So in this time of COVID, if you have taken up our suggestion of defining its resulting uncertainty through adventure, then don't forget 
to listen. If you cannot listen with your hands, then touch with your ears. In exploring the landscape of normality of another person's heart and mind, you will come to understand them and expand yourself. Last night, one of my sisters, my young niece, and I also just listened. We lay on the floor listening to the adventure stories of my mom, who was now 85 years old, when she was a young girl in the 1930s and 40s. In that moment, I could feel my niece's perception of what it means to be a girl, a strong woman, indeed a person of adventure, expand. Possibility was created, wisdom suddenly inherited. In that moment, my mom's existence became independent of itself, as her insights born from 85 years of adventure became literally encoded in the expanding brain of a newer woman of adventure, my gorgeous niece, Sienna. My aim, and the aim of my lab of misfits, is to create spaces that foster the existence of others. To this aim, we would like to seed a campaign, a campaign of listening. To aid you playfully in this, we have created a free digital tool called Wonder, which is spelled W space N-D-E-R. You decide whether you put an O or an A there. Use the Wonder app to record your adventure stories, but maybe more powerfully, we encourage you to encourage your daughters, your friends, and indeed yourself to record the adventure stories of your mothers and grandmothers and aunts and great-aunts, and if you're so blessed, of your great-grandmothers. Then post these stories on wonders in the places in which the stories were born so that we can all listen. My niece, Sienna, will be toasting ten stories from my mom, her name's Gail, over the next week or two. I, like my daughter Zanna and sons Theo and Misha, particularly love the story of when my mom and my Aunt Nancy became connoisseurs of already chewed gum stuck on the streets of Seattle. But more than hearing the gum story, it's hearing my mom laugh and laugh and laugh and telling the story. In that laugh, I not only hear her joy, I also hear my grandmother's laughter and the long-term memories encoded in my cortex. I hear the two newer generations of women laughing next to me in the form of my sister and her daughter. I hear not only four generations of laughter, but one continuous thread woven within four contiguous forms who came into existence like all of us, naked, upside down, and crying in their first breaths of life. Thank you for listening. My name is Bo Lotto, and thank you for listening to my Expanding Perception podcast, which will be an ever-expanding story of the neuroscience of uncertainty and how we can not just cope with it, but expand because of it. My aim in creating this podcast is really to try to help you increase your perceptual intelligence, which will give you the ability to make the decisions and take the actions that will foster a more loving, adaptable, and optimistic life in an increasingly uncertain world. My hope is that this podcast will help you in your journey to self-honesty, which is one of the hardest journeys we can take in our life, since it's a never-ending practice and might take you to places that you might want to avoid. But if you have the courage and compassion to go on this journey, you'll find that it's worth it, and it will create true authenticity in your way of being. A deeper consideration of many of the ideas in the Expanding Perception podcast can be found in my book, Deviate, The Creative Power of Transforming Your Perception. You can also follow me and my lab of misfits on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also take part in experiments on the Lab of Misfits website that we've designed just for you to help you better understand who you are. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy these episodes. Thank you.